Hello, my name is Andrew Gomison, and it is my immense privilege, as it is every week, to join you for the Speaking for Him podcast. Thank you so much for joining us for the first show of 2023. I'm super excited to be back with you, and I know that as we charge headlong into our 11th year of podcasting, that God will continue to show himself faithful as he has in the years previous. How has God shown himself faithful to you in 2022, and what are you looking forward to in 2023? If you wouldn't mind dropping me a message, either an email or a voicemail message with the contact information that will roll at the end of the show, I would be ever so grateful, and I may even choose some of them to use on the show with your permission, of course. With that being said, I want to let you know what we will be talking about today. We're actually going to stay a little bit in the Christmas spirit. I was able to see a movie a few weeks ago called I Heard the Bells, and this is the story of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and in particular, the tragedies and struggles of life that led him to write I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. It started out as a poem and then music was added to it by someone else many years later, and now it is a much-beloved carol, which ranks among my favorite Christmas carols. And so I think you're going to enjoy this review, and I will definitely encourage you to see this film. I just have to say, as a preview, that for a first film by a company, this film stands out. And I think the fact that they are a theater company does lend itself to the level of success that I believe they have achieved with this first picture. But before we get any further into that, let's talk about what is going on. Well, one thing you know, as we have continued to abide here in our American culture as it stands, is that we are constantly fighting a battle against the woke powers that be who are constantly telling us that we are divided into two classes, the oppressed and the oppressor. And this philosophy reared its ugly head once again in the area of a public school in Virginia. Growing backlash over a top Virginia high school accused of hiding academic achievements, even blocking students from including these honors on college applications because of equity. The school wanted to recognize students in, as individuals, not their achievements, as if the two had to be separated. It actually denies uh, children a pathway to prosperity. It denies them an ability to achieve their full potential. I don't think that is fair at all. I mean, I said no two children can ever be same. Well, they're not the only ones outraged. Our next guest is demanding a probe into this high school. Virginia Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears joins us now. Good morning, Lieutenant Governor. Good morning, Ainsley. Good morning. Good morning to your viewers. Well, a lot of people are coming back from break, and they might not have heard this story in the news. I know we've been talking about it on Fox, but this is a really great school. It's an academic school in Fairfax, Virginia, Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology. And there were a group of kids that were going to be nominated for National Merit 
awards, which can provide wonderful scholarships and opportunities for college. And they normally are handed out in September, but these kids found out in the middle of November, many times it could be too late when you're applying to college. What's your reaction? I'm astounded. And if these allegations are true, you know, I'm just livid. I am hopping mad because imagine as a parent, you tell your child, son, study hard, daughter, work hard, do well. In fact, Martin Luther King Jr. said exactly that. Burn the midnight oil. Stay in school and study. He said there are doors that are opening for you that were never open for your parents. Be prepared to walk through those doors. And this is what these children are trying to do. And how dare some of these educators keep these children's uh, future in, in, in jeopardy like this? This is not the way. This is not America. You don't take the bread out of one child's mouth for another child. We've done that in America. It doesn't work. We want, what is it, equity that they're saying? They paid $450,000 of the parents' money to hire some company to have equal outcomes. Equal outcomes in the school. What does that mean? Everybody gets an A? Or is it everybody gets a B because the A students are going to get the B and the C students are going to get a B? It it makes no Uh sense. Ainsley, I tell you, this feels like New Year, but same hell. So this parent, Shauna Yasser, her son received a letter in mid-November saying that he was, I believe, going to get this award. She called the school and said, why did it take so long? What was happening? And she claims that she tried to get in touch with the principal. Principal wasn't available. So then she got in touch with the director of student services, and he admitted the reason that they waited so long, according to this mom, the reason they waited so long is because they didn't want to hurt the feelings of the students who weren't getting the awards. What does this teach our kids? I tell you what, it teaches them that in school anyway, you get a participation trophy for everybody, but life is going to hit them and hit them very hard because life isn't waiting for anyone. Either you're prepared or you're not. And if you're not prepared, you've got to get prepared once again as an adult when you should have had that when you were uh, in school. We don't have time for this nonsense. Let me say this. There are so many teachers, all they want to do is teach. They love teaching. They love the profession, but they are being driven out of it by some who have this uh, political agenda to make everybody the same. Mm-hmm. Life isn't like that. Mm-hmm. I know the parents are really irate. They've been standing outside of the school. They want the principal fired and the director of student services. And I know you've gotten involved. You've contacted the governor and the attorney general, and you want an investigation. Lieutenant Governor, let us know how this all unfolds. Thank you. Thank you. And God bless all of you. Yeah, God bless you. So this story comes out of Virginia, where a high school, which I believe is a highly academic prep school in Virginia, has been brought under fire, the administration thereof, I mean, because apparently they have withheld information from students about awards that they received, which should have qualified them for scholarships, which in some cases they are now too late to apply for because the school did not want to be seen as unfair to the lower academic levels of the lesser students in the school. In the name of equality, they were withholding important academic information from the higher achievers. And this is just another story where we see 
people in leadership dumbing down the intelligence of our children and not pushing them to higher levels of achievement. When I worked in school, my main goal, apart from sharing with them the love of Christ and encouraging them to build character in Christ, my main goal was to equip them with the tools that they would need to be lifelong learners, to encourage them to be better students than they were when I met them, and to encourage them to have a better attitude about high school than I did. Because I know when I was in high school that I did just enough to get by, and I regretted that when I got to college and I recommitted my academic life to the Lord Jesus and I asked him to help me and I got almost a 4.0 by the time I graduated from college, which was awesome. I never thought I would have been capable of those kind of grades, but by God's grace I was. But my point here is that we should be pushing people to higher levels of achievement not dumbing down things so that they can feel better about themselves and not have to work as hard. There's been a story floated as well about waiving MCAT uh, requirements for black medical students. The MCAT is a test that you have to take to get into a medical school, and some have said that black students should not be required to take this test but they're actually just being racist and encouraging other people to be racist because if these people become doctors and people realize that they did not take the same entrance exam or have the same requirements to finish medical school as a white doctor, they may very well say, I do not want this person to be my doctor because I don't know what kind of corners Besides this, that you're cutting for them in medical school. And is that really the environment that we want to put forth in our educational system? The answer should be no. Because education is supposed to bring us to higher levels of achievement and open up new worlds of opportunity for us. But if we're always looking for shortcuts in life, Not only does that not benefit us, but it also affects negatively everyone else that we come in contact with. The problem that we have here in America is people tend to equate equalness of opportunity with equalness of outcome. We all have opportunities to succeed in this country, but not all of us are going to have the same outcome. It's kind of like the early days of American Idol in particular. I used to watch the show for a few seasons, and I remember a a big deal was made, especially in the early seasons, about the truly atrocious people uh, that would come and sing for the auditions. And in a lot of cases, they had people in their families telling them that they were a great singer, or at least allowing them to believe that, and then they would come into the audition and they would literally get livid when music professionals would tell them they're not good enough for this. This isn't the career for them. And very rarely did it push them to say, I want to become a better singer and I'm going to come back and prove you wrong. Rather, they just got mad and said, you just don't understand how good I really am. 
even though some of them were truly atrocious. And what we need to do as a society is encourage people to better themselves, to become more educated, to become more prepared for the careers of tomorrow, whether that's in college or whether that's in trade school or whether that's in any number of endeavors. Maybe it's starting your own business because you have a skill set that you can turn into a profitable career. But we, we must not just be focused on the educational system, especially if we are going to dumb it down, as it were. This is not the first story that we've heard in this regard, and it will not be the last. We need to be very careful, ladies and gentlemen, about who we allow to educate our kids. I have talked about this at other times in the podcast, so I'm not going to belabor the point. But I would encourage you, if you have any great concerns in this area, that you go into my archives and find a show uh, that I did uh, probably a year and a half ago uh, that I called Dangerous Parents. And in that podcast, I lay out my case for parents to have control over their children's education. Now, as a homeschool student and someone that greatly respects my mother and my father for making that choice for me, I believe that homeschooling is the best educational choice you can make. But whether you choose home education or public education or Christian education, there is one thing that I can tell you definitively, and that is the fact that you as a parent are primarily responsible for the education of your kids. Please do not cede this responsibility to others. You as parents are the primary vehicle through which God desires to educate your children. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, verse 6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The next thing I want to share with you is a little clip from a podcast called Junkyard Mayhem. Uh, this is a podcast done by a couple that I have been acquainted with via YouTube for several years now. And I just really get encouraged by watching their YouTube videos. And they recently started a foray into podcasting. I think at this point they've done probably eight or ten episodes. I have not listened to all of them. But this episode that I listened to last night was really moving to me because the clip I'm about to share with you is a story that I have not personally experienced on this level, and yet it resonated with me hardcore as far as that I have felt similar feelings about being a burden to others because of my disability. I kind of had a breakdown. I, all I could say to Hannah was like, I'm sorry that I have ruined your day. I, like, my wheelchair, I'm so sorry. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what to tell you. My burden complex is like the worst it's ever been. Yeah. And Hannah responded in the most beautiful way that I can fathom. She said to me, Shane, 
you are the farthest thing from a burden right now. This has been the most fun, hilarious, ridiculous day that I've ever had. Mm -hmm. And I'm loving every minute of it. Like, think about how funny this is. And we kind of melted into (laughs) laughter. Yeah, I remember saying, if we had just had the day that we planned, it would have been fine. It would have been fun. We would have had a good time. But the story that we have, the way that it did happen, is so much better. And we had so much fun the entire day. We were laughing (laughs) almost nonstop. And something about Hannah's response clicked a gear in my brain. And it began the process of me overcoming my burden complex. Having this woman that I loved immensely tell me that my disability and everything that came with it was not a burden to her and that she was having fun even in the midst of like disability-related difficulties, it opened something inside of me. And I began to view my disability in a more positive and accepting way. Mm -hmm. And I could not have done that without you. (laughs) <laughs> my love. Um, this giant debacle in New York City was a hugely formative moment for us, and it kind of solidified the fact that we were, A, extremely compatible, yeah. B, like you were going to be profound for my disability, <laughs> burden, complex stuff, um, and that we could like have immense fun even in the midst of chaos. I was checking all the boxes. We were checking it. So just to give a little bit of context to this discussion, they were talking about a story whereby shortly after they started dating, Hannah came to visit Shane for two weeks. Uh, they were dating long distance at the time. And I guess I should provide this before I go any further with the fact that I do really enjoy their podcast, uh, but they are not believers. So if you do check out Junkyard Mayhem, uh, please keep that in mind. They are not believers, and yet they speak to so many issues uh, that I feel uh, strongly about, and I'm really glad that there's someone speaking into that space. Uh, for those who don't know, I'm in a wheelchair. Although I don't make it a centerpiece of my podcast, I do talk about issues from time to time that affect me. And so back to the story that they were telling, um, they made a plan, uh, because Shane was from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, to go into New York City for the day on the bus, because apparently New York City is about an hour away from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. The night before they went on this trip, they were about to get ready to go to bed, and Shane's wheelchair had totally quit. It was it wouldn't turn on for anything. So they went and dug up his other wheelchair from the garage, plugged it in, and did some quick modifications on it so they could use it to go to New York. Because Hannah was like, we don't really have to go to New York tomorrow, and Shane was like, I don't want to let you down. We're going to go to New York. Well... The battery sat for three years in the garage, so it was not in good shape. And so they had to keep charging the chair. And they ended up missing their bus back to New York. And so they had to find a hotel room, stay the night, 
and go back the next day. But the primary thing that he's keying in on in this clip is that as all this chaos is unfolding, he is feeling this strong compulsion that he is a burden. Um, he says also in the podcast that one of his thoughts is this girl who I'm just getting to know and starting to love greatly is just going to walk away from me and not want anything to do with me because of this horrific experience related to my disability, having to charge the chair, having to, to figure out accessibility because earlier in the podcast, they said that the driver of the bus did not even know that it was handicapped accessible. And trust me, I've had my share of experience with drivers that should be fully trained in the accessibility of the buses, but are not in fact very trained on how to deal with strapping in wheelchairs and things of that nature. And I just have to say, I, I feel this to my core, this idea of being a burden to those around me. And that's the last thing that I want to do. And sometimes it's really hard for me to put myself in situations where the potential is there to be a burden. I think I've told the story before on the podcast, so I won't tell the whole story here, but about how I was getting ready to go work at a Christian camp several years ago. And just a few days before I was supposed to report for work, my chair dies. So I essentially spend three and a half weeks working at camp in a push chair in a manual chair, so others have to push me around camp. And there was definitely a high level of burden complex coming out during that time because I was thinking, why am I here? Why are they paying me to be here when other people have to help me do my job? But the reality is we all need help. Some of us just get a more comprehensive look at what it means to need help from others. And so I just related to Shane so much on this story, this idea of being a burden. You know, as I continue to pray for a life partner, I'm not naive to the fact that it will take a special lady to choose to be my wife. I know this to be true. I get a little annoyed when people say that it's offensive for someone to say that their spouse is special because they are disabled. I understand what they're saying when they say that, because they're saying that they are a normal person with normal desires and normal expectations for life, and their spouse is the same. So you shouldn't give them a medal just for marrying a person with a disability. I understand that at some level, but I also understand the level of challenges that comes with being in a relationship with me. And this doesn't just apply to a potential romantic relationship. This applies to platonic relationships as well. I'm so thankful for the friends that I do have that are willing to work within the confines of my disability. You know, when I plan to go somewhere to have coffee or to have lunch, it's always contingent upon my getting a ride to a venue and someone coming to meet me. I can't call up a friend and say, hey, would you like to go out to lunch today? I'll come and pick you up at such and such a time. I don't have the ability to do that. So when I have friends that are willing to take the time to spend with me, I really realize and acknowledge that they do take a little bit extra effort. And especially, 
I've mentioned him before on my podcast, especially since he did the podcast with me for several years. Someone like Adam McNutt, who from the very beginning of our friendship, never batted an eye about my limitations or my need for assistance. And he is someone who, as a result, I am confident uh, to go with him on a day trip to enjoy time together for the day and to not have anyone extra with us because he is confident enough to deal with my basic needs that I have on a day trip. And that is so rare to find in a friend, and I am so thankful for it. I've had my share of uncomfortable um, experiences as a result of being disabled. I've shared many of them on this show, so I won't go any further into that. I just was really encouraged by what Shane and Hannah had to share. And again, if you want to hear some encouraging stories, feel free to check out their podcast. But again, just be aware that they are not Christians, and so they're not going to come at things from a biblical perspective. Today I am reviewing the film I Heard the Bells, and this was a unique film for a couple reasons. First of all, um, it was limited release, so initially I didn't think I was going to get to see it in theaters because it was only going to be for one weekend in December. Uh, It opened December 1st, but thankfully enough people went and saw it that it was open for longer, and so I was able to catch it with my parents. I was kind of sad that it was only in, like, each local cinema once a day for the duration of its run, which I think was, like, three weeks. And it grossed over $5 million in the U.S., and I think $40,000 internationally. And it's also unique in the fact that it's the first film by Sight and Sound Theaters. Sight and Sound Theaters are based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and they also have a theater in Branson, Missouri. And rather than have a full slate of theater shows, as many theaters do, they focus on one show a season and do it as many times as they can with a professional cast, and then they move on to another show each year. And when they closed their doors from COVID, they started thinking about other ways that they could bring high-quality productions to people and impact them for Christ. And their first foray into this was to allow TBN to air their Jesus play and I believe they also aired Jonah. And I also saw Noah. So I think those three shows were aired on TBN during the COVID pandemic. And one thing that, as I was researching for this review, one thing that the director of the movie, who is one of the the directors of the theater, said was that when they released Jesus to the masses, 
they always hope for 1.5 million visitors a year to the theater, to their theaters in Branson and Lancaster. And, and that's over a whole year of shows. And they had 3 million people watch the Jesus streaming play. And so when that happened, they started to think about other ways that they could reach people. And they decided to found sight and sound films and do this story of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow called I heard the bells, which is essentially the story of the Christmas Carol. I heard the bells on Christmas day. Now this has always been a very popular Christmas Carol, but when you see this movie, it will become even more precious to you. Is it Christmas now, Papa? It's not Christmas until we hear the bells. The bells. The hopeful voice of the church. Already enshrined as America's poet, his works have helped shape the national character. He is Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Smile. Smile. You've written poems that rage against slavery. You've inspired the union with Paul Revere's rhyme. You'd make a brave soldier. You think so? I intend for my pen to raise unity, not swords. Well, it has raised an army of swords. I will stand and I will fight. Promise me, you will not let this war take our sons. You have my promise. A Merry Christmas, say the children. But that is no more for me. The bell has fallen from its steeple. Henry, have you started writing again? No, I haven't. A poet's voice, silenced by grief. What are you carrying, Henry? Whatever it is, you can leave it here. You are that bell, and you are not done ringing. Life seems more sacred to me than ever. My poet. You're beautiful. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. You are a good man, Henry. So to begin this discussion, one of the things I always check when I watch a biographical movie is how accurate is it to the true story. And I'm pleased to report that they did a very good job of capturing the true story. There weren't really any major embellishments or anything like that. They didn't really change any of the main story points. Uh, It was very well done from that respect. One thing you, you notice right away about Henry Longfellow is that he, he did have a deep faith. And that's something that a lot of people don't realize about him. And you also find out through the course of this film that his deep faith really stemmed from the relationship that he had with his wife Fanny 
uh, a relationship that is profiled very well in this film. And before I dig much deeper, I want to share with you our quote of the day. And our quote of the day is actually a conversation from the film uh, because one quote I think wasn't sufficient, but I liked the way this conversation was portrayed on the film. It says, this is not God's will for you. That is Henry talking to his son, Charlie. Now the context of this is that Charlie wants to go enlist in the union army for the civil war. And Henry promised his wife, Fanny, before her untimely death, which, spoiler alert, is a big part of this film, that he will not allow her sons or their sons to go into the service. But Charlie decides to go anyway and sneak away from his family, and his dad catches him, and he says, this is not God's will for you. And Charlie shoots back, you still believe in that? What do you think he was doing when mom died? Fanny, that is. Was he sleeping? I will not put hope in a God who's sleeping or a God who's dead. So they're having this feud and then the son goes away to war. So on top of losing his wife, he in some ways loses a son because his son directly defied him. He's like, I don't know what to do about this. This is so bad. And of course, after his wife dies, he's like, I'm not going to write anything because she was my inspiration. She was my reason for writing. She was my reason for living. So I'm just going to uh, fold into myself. And you can see how that negatively affects the family. One thing you see through the course of this film, or you find out through the course of this film, is that he actually lost two wives because his first wife, uh, he lost her... Um, when she was pregnant with their son and lost them both. And he takes the blame for it. He feels the blame for it because he made her travel across country when she was in a highly pregnant state and it really affects him. And then when his second wife dies, it's really hard for him to deal with because he's like, it happened again. You know, and for those of us who have not experienced that kind of loss, that can be really hard to grasp. But this situation is such that he is just racked uh, with pain and grief. And so the first part of the film, first of all, let me just say that the acting in this film was 100% on point. And I know that that comes from a place of being put on by a professional theater company. And three of the actors, at least, had been involved in sight and sound theater on stage. I think the lady that played Fanny had been involved in shows like Esther, and uh, I don't remember 
uh, the other roles that these actors played, but, but all three of the principal actors of this film, the one that played Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, the one that played Fanny, and the one that played Charlie, all were active participants in Sight and Sound Theater. So they were seasoned actors of a sort uh, before they ever stepped on the set. The attention to detail on the set as far as period uh, set pieces and aesthetic was excellent. The cinematography was amazing. And I just think that a lot of uh, filmmakers, even some Christian filmmakers who have made multiple movies, can watch this sight and sound production and learn a little bit from them about how to make a good movie. Because despite the fact that it's an inaugural production for this film company, it was so very well done. To the point that I remember telling someone after watching it that I'm sitting there watching the relationship between Henry and his wife Fanny develop, and I'm invested with Fanny so much that when they had her die on screen as she died in real life, for those that don't know, she was actually um, writing a letter and sealing it with wax. And so she had a lit candle and she turned around and the lit candle uh, fell over and lit her dress on fire. She screamed out and Henry who had been sleeping, woke up and tried to save her, but couldn't put the fire out, and she ended up dying the next morning from her injuries. And Henry himself was injured as well, uh, but of course survived. And so it was about as tragic of a death uh, that you can imagine, but it was dealt with tastefully on the screen. And so you first of all see this foundation of the family. You see his children excited about Christmas, he recites the poem, The Children's Hour, which he wrote for his children to them before they go to bed one night. And so then you have this cataclysmic event of him losing his wife, and it affects his ability to be a dad. It affects his ability to be a writer. All the things that were important to him, all the things that, that he knew he needed to do were affected by the loss of his precious Fanny. And... I really liked what the actress who played Fanny said about this movie in that she said it portrayed what a godly marriage is supposed to look like without telling you they were portraying a godly marriage. And I really respect that because a lot of Christian movies will say, well, we're doing this movie about marriage or we're doing this movie about family. And what I heard the Bells did was it simply said, this is a family, this is a Christian marriage, and we're going to just show you without telling you what we're going to show you. We're just going to show you what it means to have a good Christian marriage, two people that love each other immensely, but then show you the immense grief that happens when one loses the other. The Bible says that if we are married we are one flesh, and I have not experienced that yet, but I can only imagine what it must be like to experience that and then have that torn away through death. So the first part of the film is 
is him and the family and you just get really invested in them and you really get to know them and really love them and everything about them. And then when the mother dies, Fanny dies, you feel their pain and you just see this process of grief uh, for, I believe the first several days after she died, Henry could not get out of bed first because he was injured. And then also because he was depressed he did not attend his wife's memorial service because he was nursing injuries from trying to save her life. And he says, I'm never going to write again. And he just really struggles to be the loving, warm father that he had been before she died for obvious reasons. And it's just a really powerful example of real life. You know, it, it doesn't have this buttoned-up happy ending, even though there is hope and happiness in the ending. And you really see the verses of I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day uh, taking shape in the story because it's written against the Civil War backdrop. You know, he talks about the battle of the Civil War and how hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And then toward the end of the film, he realizes that God's not dead. He hears the bells. He gets inspired. He writes his poem. And probably the most powerful verse of that uh, song slash poem goes... Then peal the bells both loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, good will to men. And you really see him develop a hope and a trust in God again. Uh, you see him reunited with his son Charlie, who gets injured in the war, and he goes out looking for him uh, with his other son, uh, leaving his younger daughters in the care of someone else. And then it's actually his injured son that encourages him to take up his pen and write again. And that's why we have I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. I don't really have anything negative to say about this film. I know that may be a little bit surprising, but it really is true. I think you'll be genuinely surprised at how good this film is in every aspect. And the only thing that this film really made me ask is when are they going to do another one? Because they did a fantastic job. And so I'm giving this film five out of five stars. I hope that people will see it. Right now it's only available on the Sight and Sound website. I believe for single watch, you can watch it for $14. Or you can get a season pass that entitles you to everything that's streaming on Sight and Sound for $90 for the year. And those may seem like exorbitant amounts of money, but the reality is that they do need to be able to finance their productions. And if you 
pay $14 to rent a movie that your whole family can watch in your living room. That's really not a whole lot per person. So I do think it would be worth it. As I said, I think the acting was top notch. And I just really think they did a good job all around. And this story really reminded me of the book of Job. And how Job went through all these trials. But he still said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then God doubled the blessing at the end of the book. And I don't think Job ever found out this side of heaven why God did the things he did. But when we read Job, we can tell with confidence that God does not allow anything to escape his knowledge. The devil had to come before God to ask permission to harm Job. If we are going through a trial today, we can know that it came only through the authorization of our loving Heavenly Father for his purposes. Romans says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that everything is good, but it says that it will all work together for good. So, I hope that you will enjoy this film, and I really just wanted to get this review out to you so that you could listen to it and so that you could make plans to enjoy this film. Like I said, right now it's only available on Sight and Sound for streaming. I'm hoping it will be available on uh, other streaming services. I'm guessing Pure Flix will, will make a run at getting the rights to this film because it seems to be along the lines of what they would offer. And I hope it will be available more broadly. That's one thing that I have thought about this proliferation of streaming services is that it would be nice if there were less and that there was just more variety on each platform because it would be easier for people to get the Christian message out to more people if that were the case, as was the case in the early days of Netflix. Well, that's about all I have to share with you today, um, and that kind of officially wraps up our Christmas celebration here on the podcast. You know, it is after Christmas, we're into a new year, but in some ways the Christmas celebration does not end until Epiphany, which is still a few days away. But I think talking about a Christmas movie and a Christmas song on this podcast today does underscore the fact that the spirit of Christmas should, as Charles Dickens said, strive within us not just one day of the year, but 365 days of the year. And I hope that's true of you, and I hope that you are trusting in God for his faithfulness no matter what trial he is um, putting in your way, and that you know that he is walking right beside you. He is walking with you through the valley of the shadow of death. And so you can fear no evil. And I'm so thankful that we have the hope of heaven. I don't understand how people 
deal with life without knowing the hope of heaven and knowing that there is more after this and that I has not seen nor has ear heard nor has entered into the heart of man what the Lord has promised to those who love him. Well, that's about all I have time for this week. I hope that you have a wonderful week and that you keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.